Amen. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, Amanda, worship team. Good morning, church. How are we doing? Okay. Well, I'm glad you're here. It's a good Sunday uh, for a number of reasons, uh, not the least of which is the smell that you've already heard about, uh, chili cook-off Sunday, which a couple of things about that, we call it chili cook-off, and that sounds like it's purely a competition, so if you're not entering a chili, then you probably shouldn't come. That's not at all the case. We call it that to upgrade the quality of basically a church-wide meal. That's why we do that. Now, for some of you who are super competitive, you're all in and you're going for broke, I get it. Thank you for staying up all night and smoking your special ingredients to make the chili good. The rest of us are just here to eat. So that being said, if you came in today and you didn't know that, or even if you did, I want to invite you back because we still have one more service before that. Uh, to come back for lunch. There's plenty to eat. It is more than a cook-off. It is a church-wide meal. Hope you'll join us for that. Uh, kids and students in the room, welcome you. Good to have you in here for a family worship Sunday. And then also a reminder, we are two weeks out from uh, elder ordination service, which is a special service we'll host two weeks from today. Uh, it'll be an afternoon, because early evening service, where we will ordain two new elders. And that's really um, significant because um, it's not like two guys went off to school and got their degree in eldership and they've graduated and now we're just throwing a big party. Um, Ephesians 4 outlines um, the growth process of a mature body of believers or a mature church. Uh, the first five verses or so talk about this atmosphere of unity that we have in Christ is the beginning. If we don't have that, a church won't mature and grow. Um, and so it takes that first, but then out of that comes uh, church leadership. From among the members, church leadership will emerge, and then out of that, these leaders will equip members to do ministry. And then Paul says, this is what takes a church from infancy to maturity, full stature. And so when you get to watch like somebody come to the church as a visitor, maybe they just moved to town looking for a church, and then you watch them walk through the process of becoming a member, and then a little later, they maybe step into like a role of leadership, a community group leader or a team leader, or some other capacity of leadership. And then you watch them grow more. And then at some point, they emerge as an elder candidate. Uh, so both of the men that we are ordaining um, on November the 12th um, have taken those, those paths here at Solid Rock. It's been so cool to watch them over the years go from first Sunday attendee to now uh, an elder, part of the leadership of the church. And so this is a church-wide celebration. I hope you'll come join us on November 12th to recognize not just these two men, but recognize what God is doing in our church um, by raising up new leaders. And so um, that will be Shane Belter and Jason Zeta. Uh, they will be ordained, I believe, 5 o'clock on November the 12th. Definitely November the 12th. I believe it's 5 o'clock. So is there a slide for that? Maybe you'll see that later. All right. We're ready to get into this, to the sermon today. We are in a series entitled what is the gospel um, we are taking the gospel um, of jesus and we're pulling it apart really into like five pieces and uh and looking at each of those pieces under a magnifying glass if you will focusing on one element at a time and so the first um the first week we actually just looked at the bible and said hey where does the gospel show up in the bible because we use that word in church culture and not all of us really know what we mean when we say it because Gospel gets used somewhat generically, you know, like, you know, I was thinking about like, you remember, I, I remember when I was a kid, uh, if you were talking about drinking a Coke, 
You could have been drinking a Pepsi or a Sprite or a Big Red or a Fanta because Coke was so popular, it had become like a general description of a soda pop, right? Uh, and then do you remember the, uh, the new Coke that came out? And there was this debate between that Coke and the Coke Classic. I take credit for being among the generation that put that to rest. It is Coke Classic. So for those of you who didn't know that, you can think those of us who graduated in 1994, we said no way with the new Coke. We like the old one. Keep it the same. So, okay. Now apply that to the gospel. There are so many things we call the gospel that are related to the gospel, but maybe aren't specifically the gospel. So for example, gospel music. You could be talking about a song that is literally singing the gospel, or you could be talking about a genre of music. So as we walk through this series, um, this is a good time for us to, as a church to level set and remind ourselves of what the gospel is. And maybe for you, the first time in your journey, even as a Christian, that you've really stopped to think about, okay, what is the gospel? What makes, what makes the gospel the gospel and not something else? One of the things we're going to do today, and so we've outlined the, this series with questions. Uh, five questions, and we've made it to the fourth question today. First question was, to whom are we accountable? Uh, second question was, in what condition does that accountability find us? Uh, and then the third question was, uh, what has God done to address that problem? And so actually, fourth question today is, okay, then what do we need to do to receive what God is offering? So we're on the fourth question today. We'll answer the fifth question next Sunday. So we're at the part now where we've got to start thinking, okay, what's my part here? What, what do I need to do to get whatever God is offering me? And we're really going to look at three things, but two things specifically, the idea of faith and repentance. And it's really important, even though these two concepts uh, can be defined on their own as kind of independent things, um, we need to see them today connected and interdependent. Are you with me? So even though we can pull that apart, and we even, we even talk about baptism, we can pull baptism apart and say, okay, this is what baptism is, this is what repentance is, and this is what faith is. We're going to also see these things connected to one another and how one begets the other. We're also going to put them in a specific order, and I debated on whether or not to do this. I think it's super important that we understand the order of these three things but here's the danger anytime we put something in order and we turn it into steps it can quickly become something in our minds that is for us to control right it can real easily get mixed in with my ego in a way where i feel like this is something i'm doing for me i know the steps to get to heaven and so I got them in the right order, and now I'm going to take them. That's a danger in, you know, putting things in, 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 in the, by way of steps or putting them in order. However, here's the thing. If we get these things out of order, we lose the gospel. So a lot's at stake today. I'm going to start in uh, verse 36. Um, as Ken, or, uh, Mike read this, um, this comes at the end of really the first sermon ever preached in a church service. You may not know that. So Jesus had told the disciples, hey guys, I'm going to start a church. And after, um, right before he um, goes to the cross, he begins to say things like, upon this rock I will build my church. And so he's going to build a church. But then he goes to the cross and dies. 
Then three days later, he raises from the dead. And he tells his disciples, hey guys, don't get started yet on the church until my Holy Spirit comes and falls on you and empowers you, then you'll know it. And when that happens, go. And so the book of Acts is really the recording of that story. If you read chapter 1, you'll read a more detailed description of what I just said. But then you get to the Acts chapter 2, and the Holy Spirit comes and falls on this, this building where 120 disciples are gathered waiting on the Spirit, and it's powerful. This is called Pentecost. And then what happens is uh, Peter, one of the disciples, uh, steps up and preaches the first sermon. And this is the launch of the church. It's the beginning. At the end of his sermon, where he's talking about how Jesus is the one that the Old Testament promised, he says these words, Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, what a powerful ending to his sermon. It feels like a prayer. It feels like a, a charge, and it feels like an invitation for everybody listening to respond or do something with the sermon he just preached. Let all the house of Israel know for certain this Jesus whom you crucified, that you would know for certain that he is both Lord and he is the Christ. Now, this is where we're going to start today and. One of the things that I want to do is help you see uh, faith in this passage because the word faith doesn't show up, but it's all over it. Like This is dripping with faith here. So Peter has preached the first sermon. These folk, Maybe this is your first time in church. These people had never been to church before. They didn't know what to expect next. All they knew what was going on inside of them. And Peter ends with, I want you to know for certain that Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. Well, if you dig into the wording here that, that Peter uses, this phrase, know for certain, is really two words in the Greek language. Uh, the first one, gnosko, um, is, is the idea of knowing something um, in a way that is like complete or settled. Like to understand and to be sure of something. Right? So there's a lot of layers or different levels to knowing something. I could come to you and say um, anything that I want to say to you. Like I could say, oh, by the way, I'm a pilot and I fly airplanes during the week. Okay, do you know for certain that I do that? Some of you are like, whatever, no way. But you know that I told you that I fly airplanes. So you have some level of knowledge there, right? You have information. Jason wants me to think that he flies airplanes. Now, that's different if I say, hey, what are you doing on Wednesday? I've got a plane that's booked, and we're going to go up in the air. Now you've got to make a decision. Like, does he really know how to fly an airplane? And you're probably going to do some background information, right? You're going to want, want some proof that I know what I'm doing before you jump in an airplane and go up with me. But now once we've flown and landed and you're safe, now you know that I can fly an airplane. You with me? That's this word, gnosko, to know in a way that it's settled. Nothing is still up for debate. It's complete and it's settled. But it's followed with, with another word. Um, the best pronunciation I can come up with is asphalos, like asphalt, asphalos. And it's the word certain here. 
This is an interesting word because it translates safely, securely, and without fail. So it's not just like certainty in the sense that we've nailed it down. It's certainty in a way that brings a level of safety. Did you hear that description? Safely, securely, and without fail. So he's saying to this audience, I want you to like know, know this. I want you to know it completely in a way that is settled, that will bring a sense of security to your soul. So he says, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. So Peter is inviting this church service to know for certain, to believe absolutely, to trust without fear of failure, that what? Jesus is the Son of God who died for our sins and rose from the grave. This is also a beautiful description of what faith means. See, the word faith, we can use that one somewhat generically, can't we? Brings up a George Michael song right now in my mind. You gotta have faith, faith, right? It can mean like wishful thinking. It'd be like, I'm gonna go out on a limb or I'm gonna roll the dice one more time and, oh, here we go. Or the biblical idea of faith is actually to know something for certain. It's settled in a way that brings you security. You see the connection here to this idea of knowing for certain? And so Peter is saying, I want you to know for certain. I want you to believe. I want you to have faith that Jesus is in fact the Lord and Christ. And then we're going to look in verse 37. This is the first half of 37 to look at their response. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Okay, so this is a beautiful description of something that happens inside of us in a supernatural way. This idea of being cut to the heart is what we feel on the inside when we hear the gospel and the Holy Spirit begins to stir inside of us and faith begins to like just slowly rise or sometimes quickly rise. It's this description of something that happens inside of us that you can't really see, but you can, you can know it's happening because of what's happening on the outside. Okay, and so there's this idea that, that Peter's preaching the gospel, then he invites them to believe, and now something's stirring inside of them in a way that they've never felt before, and the only way they can describe it is, ah, like, I'm, I'm cut to the heart. So in the church today, we might use words like conviction. Conviction is that inward stirring and angst and sense that God is saying something nudging me in a direction, moving inside of me. So here's what I want you to understand. The idea of faith in my heart for Jesus is not a solo thing. I need the Holy Spirit of God stirring that in me. Faith isn't just a cognitive decision I make and go, you know what, I think I'll become a Christian. No, faith is this stirring that comes when the Holy Spirit of God starts working in me Wrenching my heart. And here it's described as cut to the heart. And so we're going to kind of pull this apart into three parts. I want to start with just this concept of faith. Faith is this idea of knowing for certain in a settled kind of way 
that what you believe is true. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, I won't read it, but just if you want to read more, gives a beautiful description of the certainty of true biblical saving faith. It's more than what I can muster up on my own. I need the Holy Spirit to stir it up in me because I might have, if it's up to me, I got faith today, right? But then I've got, I've lost it tomorrow. Kind of like the Rangers last night. Case in point, right? Some of you were hoping game two would end like game one. I was one of those people, but it didn't happen. Womp, 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 womp. That's not faith. Faith is knowing for certain that whatever you're believing in is settled and it is true. Now, we're going to move into verse the rest of 37 because here's what happens. And so this is what the crowd says back to Peter. He preached Jesus. He ends with, I want you to know this for certain. I want you to believe it. They're cut to the heart, and they say to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? That is really the same question we're asking today. What do I do to receive what God has to offer? They're asking the same question. Now what? What do we do? Like, what's the next step forward here? Peter and the rest of the apostles, what do we do? How do I receive what God has to offer me today? So faith is already stirring in this crowd. And look at what Peter says next then. Peter says to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So initially, the plan was not to even really talk about baptism today because we didn't want to muddy the water and add one more thing into the conversation. But it came up in the text, and I think it's super fitting for baptism to, have, to be a part of the conversation but have its right place in the conversation. Because what we don't want to do is tell people, when you're cut to the heart, what do I do? Just go get wet. Just go get baptized and everything will be fine. Maybe... Maybe that's part of your story. You thought, okay, I'm just going to go get wet. Some preacher guy's going to dunk me, and then I'll be good. Life will be smooth. I won't struggle with sin anymore, and, and maybe that didn't happen for you. But here we are in this first church service. Faith is already stirring inside of them. What do we do? And Peter's first instructions are, is this. His first instruction is repentance. We've, we've done, a, I think, a fairly good job in the last year teaching about repentance as a good thing. Um, that word kind of gets a bad rap. We hear it, and it's like, oh, hellfire brimstone sermon, repent or burn. And repentance is this beautiful invitation out of the kindness of God to turn towards him. Like, repentance is not a bad word. It's actually a kind word. And we saw this in Isaiah in week two, where Isaiah is in the presence of of the holiness of God and he immediately recognizes God's holiness and his sinfulness and he repents he says what oh I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips there is a great difference between who God is and who we are he is holy and we are not and so repentance happened in his heart I want to break it down for us today Repentance means to change your mind or change how you feel about something 
or it's a change of heart that leads to a change in direction. Okay, so one way I've heard it illustrated is I'm, I'm headed this way in life, and so repentance wouldn't be just to stop, but it actually means to change and turn away from something and towards something. And I, I think that's a pretty good, simple way to describe and understand repentance. But I think what's important is to understand repentance is intermingled with faith. Repentance comes out of our faith. Repentance isn't just this thing you can go do um, to, like, fix things. Repentance comes from this inside stirring and conviction of the Holy Spirit that leads to an action. I'm trying to think about different ways to illustrate the connection between, like, believing and action, and this is probably a... Uh, maybe it's decent. So... I uh, went skydiving when I was like 20, 21. Some of you have done that. It's the thing you can do now and pay money and go jump out of an airplane. Well, um, I, didn't, I didn't have a lot of time to think about this. It was actually a good friend of mine was going, and uh, it was for her birthday. And she's like, will you go with me? And I'm like, yes. Like, I checked the box before I even had a conversation with myself. But then I couldn't back out because, A, I was a prideful male and she was going. And I couldn't be the one to chicken out. Uh, but B, I had a lot of friends who were watching too, and I needed to be the first one to go skydiving. So, and I, you know, we went through orientation, and they tell you what to do, and the whole way I'm trying to, trying to muster up enough faith <laughs> that this guy knows what he's doing, and this parachute's going to stop me. And all the while, he's cutting jokes, you know, like, yeah, this is the second time I've done this. I'm pretty sure I got it this time. I'm like, come on, dude. It's, it's not helping. It's not stirring up any faith. But I, and so there's so much of it I don't remember because I was in like fight, flight, freeze mode, right? But I do remember sitting like in the floor of the airplane and, um, and he's, he's kind of slid up behind me. He's latched onto me and I hear the click, click, click of the carabiners and we're latched in. Like, okay, this is real. It's about to happen. And I remember the door opening and making a decision. Yes. Like, okay, yes. So he attached me on the shoulder. We slide around. And I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, I'm about to put whatever level of faith I have right now into action. And I'm going to turn, and I'm going to go this way. And there we went, tumbling out of the airplane, flipping, and he got us, and we landed, and it was all a great experience, mostly. Anyway, point of that is, um, faith stirring inside of us invokes an action. It's not enough just to say, I'll jump out of an airplane. It's not enough to say, I believe that parachute will stop me. It's a whole different thing when I take one more step to put it to the test to see if it's actually secure and safe. Are you with me? And so here's how I would describe repentance and faith working in us. It's like this stage represents the, the fallen world I live in and really my story here on earth. And I was born over there and I'll die over there one day. And I'm walking through life. And so for me, it was at the age of 15. Uh, it was the week after my sophomore year of high school. I'm walking through life. I hear the gospel. This is important. This is why we're doing this series. I hear the truth of the gospel. Jesus loves me. He died on the cross. He rose from the grave. And that if I would believe in him and trust in him, he will save me and forgive me and give me eternal life. I hear that. And so I'm coming through life. Right? I'm walking through life on this journey. And, and, and it, something stops me in my tracks. Something begins to stir. I'm cut to the heart. I hear the gospel. I say yes. And there's a turning. Complete change. Now, I'm still living in the fallen world. I still got 
things wrong with me, struggles inside of me, but now something has changed and different. Now I am following a new direction in life. And so here, this church is hearing this invitation to not only believe, but to now change directions. Turn. Turn away from. What are we turning away from? The list is long. It's all the things that you find security in before Jesus. It's all the things that you find meaning in before Jesus. It's all the things that you try to find joy in before Jesus. And the list is long. Your list is similar to mine, but different. If these friends will accept me, I'll be okay. If this girl will go out with me, then I'll feel good, right? There's different things I was putting my hope in at 15. You have your list. But here's what you're turning away from. You're saying, you know what? None of that stuff paid off. I'm letting go. This is repentance. I'm letting go. I'm turning away from not all bad things, just bad things to find security in. Away from and turning to Christ. And that's repentance. Away from sin. Away from everything else I found security, joy, and meaning in or tried to. And I'm turning to Christ saying, I'm, I'm betting on you. I'm all in on you. If I need meaning, Jesus, it'll be found in you. If I need security, it'll be found in you. If I need joy, it'll be found in you. I'm all in. And that's the best way I could describe repentance for us here today. And this is the invitation to this church. Believe. Know for certain. And then out of that knowing for certain, watch what happens to your heart. You're going to be cut to the heart. And in that stirring now, repent. Turn from and to. And then he mentions here baptism. Just a quick little description on baptism if you aren't familiar. Um, baptism is a um, this beautiful sacred thing we do in the church. It's a symbol of something. And we use a, um, a tub of water up here. You may have gone to a church with like a, a big tub up high or maybe one of the churches that rolls in a, a portable baptism or maybe like out at a pond or a river or a lake or a swimming pool. But there's water, Okay. And what baptism is, it is, is a symbol and it is a proclamation statement. It's both of those things. Okay? Now, it's important we put this in order. Faith, repentance, then baptism. So baptism, first of all, symbolically portrays something to the audience. When a person is there going under the water, that is actually symbolizing what Jesus has done for everybody in the room. Jesus was buried. That person is buried in a symbolic way. And then we don't leave them there <laughs> because symbolically we want them to represent what Jesus rose from the grave, okay? That's one of the symbols that's, that's being seen, expressed in baptism. It's also personal because that person is saying, no, that, my life is now hidden in Christ, buried with Christ. I've had a, a turning in my life. My life is different now. I've had a, a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. My life is buried with Christ. And I've been raised to walk in a new life, a new direction. It's also a proclamation. Because what that person is saying through baptism is I have come to a place in my journey, remember this place of repentance, where I decided to trust in Jesus and Him alone. I'm all in on Jesus. And you know that because I'm following His command to be baptized. This is what He told me to do. It's what I'm doing. I'm all in with Him. So it's a beautiful proclamation of faith. There's another proclamation that happens at baptisms that sometimes we miss. You see it first at, at like Jesus' baptism. Like if you've read that, that description of Jesus being baptized by John the Baptist, 
When Jesus comes up out of the water, there's a voice from heaven. His Father in heaven says what? This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, you're not Jesus and I'm not Jesus, but we are actually co-heirs, spiritual siblings with Christ. He's the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And when you, when you, when you have come to a place of faith and repentant, and then you are baptized, this is God's, he's the one that designed this thing, in your baptism, he proclaims over you, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. This is my daughter in whom I am well pleased. Isn't that beautiful? And so that's what baptism is. And so what Peter would say is, first you've got to believe, you've got to know for certain. This has got to be settled in you. What's got to be settled? That Jesus is in fact the Lord and the Christ. He is both King of Kings and he's the Messiah of the Old Testament. And once you know that for certain, something's going to stir inside of you and you're going to be cut to the heart. And what do we do with that? Peter says, first thing you do is you repent. And then what? Be baptized. Now, keeping these things in order, I said earlier, is really important because it helps us to see the gospel correctly that we are saved by faith, not by works. And you see how quickly that paradigm shifts if you get those out of order? If you put repentance first and then some attempt of faith and then baptism, you started with your works. We started with your decision to turn, your decision to change. If you start with baptism, we start with your works, your willingness to get wet and get up in front of people and with some kind of hope that if I do this, maybe then the Holy Spirit will stir faith inside of me. The moment we get these out of order, we lose the true gospel. You can go to heaven having not been baptized. Not every denomination is going to say that. If I have a a moment of faith. I hear the gospel and I believe in repentance. <laughs> Five seconds before a fatal car accident, I believe I am saved. And I'm going to read the Bible verse that would back that up, one among many. Ephesians chapter 2, listen to verses 8 and 9, and this is why we have to keep this in order. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Repentance and baptism don't show up in this verse. Now, I think they're connected. But for, by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. You hear that? It is what? The gift of God. What is the gift of God? My salvation that comes by faith. I need the Holy Spirit to do that work in me. And then he goes on to say, it is not a result of works so that no one may what? Boast. We hear boast, we think brag, and there are a lot of things that we might brag about in life. I'll do some bragging if the Rangers pull it off. Do some boasting. Called it, knew it, it's their year. But what we're talking about is not boasting or bragging about our own salvation that there is no room to take credit here. There's actually no room for me to take credit for the Rangers winning, but you know. It's where I say, you know what? If it weren't for the grace of God, I would still be on that same trajectory. Hopelessly searching for meaning 
purpose and security and joy in fleeting things, like trying to hold on to sand. It just drains out. And then I grab another scoop of sand, and it just drains out. We are saved by grace through faith, and this is not your own doing. Your doing comes after that. Your doing is the repentance and baptism and joining the church and all those things God has called you to do. The doing comes last, but it starts with faith. Just quickly want to land here, verses, um, we'll go ahead and run down to um, Acts 2.39. Verse 39 says this, as Peter wraps this up, he says, oh, by the way, this promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And what I love about this is this is Family Worship Sunday. And so students and like kids may be sitting here going, oh, this is what mom and dad do when I'm over in kids' church. And this is, that guy on the stage is talking to them. Could I just say to you, actually, no, I'm actually talking to you too. Not only that, but God is talking to you too. This invitation to believe the gospel and turn away from the things in your, in your life and turn to Jesus and trust in him. That invitation is for everybody in the room today, regardless of how old you are. And then he says this, or here's the, the end of it. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them. He kept preaching. I'm done, but he kept going. Saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. I love verse 41. So those who received his word, right? Those who heard it and believed it and knew for certain, what? They were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Whoa. What a church service. We've been adding souls all year long. I don't know how many baptisms we have to date, but it's in the double digits. It's certainly not in the thousands. This all happened in one day. Like, I would love to start filling up our baptistry more. Like, every Sunday, it's just part of our process. We fill it up. We don't know how many. We just know we're doing it. Both services. However, if that's the thing we go after and emphasize, we will likely miss true salvation by faith. So our invitation to you today is not baptism. It's faith in Jesus. And out of that stirring that you would repent. And if you've never been baptized as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, we want you to let us know that. And we want to start talking about what baptism means and what it might mean for you to get baptized. We don't need 3,000. I don't know, there's a couple hundred people in the room and there'll be a couple hundred more in the next service and how many, however many have not been saved and been baptized, that's the number we're after. That every person in this room, young and old, would come to saving faith in Jesus and Him alone. And that's our invitation for you today. I want to end with some questions for us to reflect on and then pray. Um, then the band will come out. Um, once the band comes out, and you're going to hear singing. If you're new here, you'll notice some people standing at the front on both sides. Um, this, is where you, this is where you pay for your seat, so come pay them some. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> These are our prayer partners. They are here because God has stirred their hearts to pray for you. 
And if you don't come up, they're going to pray for you anyway while they're standing up here. So you might as well come tell them what they're praying for. So come grab a prayer partner and let them pray over you today. If you're here today and you're like, hey, I need to take that step of faith, grab one of our prayer partners. It may, it, maybe you've taken that step of faith and for you it's like, hey, I'm ready for baptism. Come grab a prayer partner. Let us pray for you and then get you connected to the right resources and the right people. So I'm saying that. I'm going to read these questions now and we'll, we'll pray together. Here's the first question for you to consider today. Have you come to the place in your life journey, you, where you have truly trusted in, relied on, and placed value in Jesus? Have you come to that place? Whether it's today, 20 years ago, and if the, if the answer is no, not yet, I hope it'll be today. And with that, have you come to a place of true repentance where your mind and heart have changed your direction to follow Jesus? There's this idea of like coming halfway. It's like the, the story of the rich young ruler. He's like, hey, Jesus, how do I get to heaven? Do all these things. He's like, okay, I've done all those things. I'm ready. How do I? Jesus is like, oh, go sell all your stuff and come follow me. Like that second step he wasn't willing to take. So he actually went home sad. Have you come to the place of true repentance where your mind and heart have changed your direction to follow Jesus? Have you ever expressed your inward faith in Jesus outwardly through baptism? If not, we want to, again, get you connected with the right people and talk about how to make that happen if that's what you want. And then here's the last step for all of us to consider. The last thing is this. What is the next step in your relationship with Jesus today? We all have a next step today. Elders in the room have a next step today. I have a next step today. Sometimes the next step is the same step that I've been taking a hundred times, but I still have a step to take towards him. If you don't know what that is, again, grab a prayer partner, grab one of us. But what is that next step for you today in your relationship with Jesus? I'm going to pray and invite our worship team and our prayer partners to come out. Let's pray. Father, thank you for today and this message of faith and repentance. Um, Father, we um, just confess that um, sometimes we misunderstand the invitation. Like everybody else in our, in our life so far, we feel like, God, you're demanding something from us before you give anything to us. And so thank you for answering the question today. What do we do to receive what you have to offer? The answer to that question is we believe. We would believe completely. We would believe in a way that is settled. Thank you, God, for doing the work that we could not do ourselves. Would you stir faith in this room today? Father, would your Holy Spirit stir in each one of us and cut us to the heart? God, that our response might be faith and repentance. Lord Jesus, if anybody doesn't know you here today, oh, I pray that today would be that day to take that first step and believe. We pray this in your name. Amen.